The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. I always promise and I always deliver, so stick around. Very interesting topic today. What's the buzz on the street? Acting hyper. What? Is that something we really want to talk about on Coffee Break? Well, if you've had too much coffee, probably is. Let me get started. Peter Diamandis predicts the most dramatic positive change in our global economy is just about here. It's going to occur between this year, 2016, and the famous, fabulous 2020. What's going to happen? Well, put your seatbelts on. Three to five billion, I said billion, new consumers. These are the ones who have never purchased uploaded, invented, or sold anything brand new. They're going to come online, and guess what? They're going to spark a hyper-connectivity mega-surge. I think we should patent that term. I love it. Who are these people? Well, they're called the rising billions. And I'm not sure if the billions applies to how many of them there are or how much money they're going to generate, but I think it's both. So what's happening now? Tech giants Google, Facebook, and SpaceX are working hard to make this happen. So those of you in the business audience, what's your company doing about it? Do you know about it? Are you ready? How are you going to turn this resulting complex hyperconnectivity into growth opportunities for your organization, for your industry, for your part of the world that are sustainable and keep on going and growing? We have a panel of three experts who are prepared to educate us and inspire us on this topic. I'm very pleased to welcome back, I'm going to say the one and only, I can even say the famous, Frank Diana. He's a principal of business evolution at TCS. And Frank is the one who sent me the information about Peter Diamandis, who happens to be the founder and chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation and co-founder and executive chair of Singularity University. Very interesting guy. And I actually found him on Twitter. Here's the quote. Three billion new minds are about to join the global conversation. Frank Diana, how have you been? Frank? Yeah, still here. Okay, talk to me. I just introduced you with your quote. Go ahead. Uh, well, first of all, that's a great quote. Um, a fan of Peter Demandis and his work, and Singularity University is uh, actually penetrating in terms of discussions in the, in the business world, so it's interesting to see. But a couple things with that quote. One, as to me, is fascinating. Three to five billion mm-hmm. more people entering the, uh, the online discussion in the global world, but it really takes on a number of different dimensions. Obviously, from a business perspective, it's, it's massively impactful. But societal implications are, are, are very large. So think about 
the health care, the education, the, the ability for folks that have never had the opportunity to bank, all of these things come into play as this $3 billion to $5 billion enters this global conversation. So it's just fascinating on so many different levels. And we talk a lot about things like the Internet of Things, uh, but something like this doesn't get as much play, and it's just as impactful, if not more, if you think about it. You know, the data explosion that these 3 to $5 billion create on top of the Internet of Things is, is just fascinating. And if we think about the conversations that we've had on, on this show, personalization, the Internet of Me, digital halos, I mean, what does that look like when you've got so many more people involved in that dialogue? So this is a fascinating topic, and I'm really anxious to have this conversation today. Frank, we are too, and thank you so much for uh, sending the topic description. Now, my question for you is, do we know who they are? Do they have a particular demographic? Are they boomers who are just now discovering that the world is global and that they can connect? Are they millennials who stopped being bored and arrogant, excuse me, we're doing a show on that next week, and decided to start talking to people in a nice way? Are they uh, high schoolers who have a lot of extra spending money? Who are they? Because 2016, breaking news, is right now. So it's happening. Who are these people, Frank? Well, it's all of the above. Really, the ability to connect is what we're talking about here, right? So you mentioned the names Google, Facebook, SpaceX, and others. We'll make this a reality and enable uh, the, that part of the world that could never connect before to connect. So it really spans the generations. Uh, it's just a capability issue. And, and really, the parts of the world where the middle class grows, where the emerging markets play into this now, that's where it's going to happen mostly. And that just introduces so many different dynamics for businesses today in terms of how to capture that market, how to learn about that market, et cetera. Thank you, Frank. And it also presumes and assumes that the businesses are connected. Aha! There's the rub, right? They got to be there. You got to be in it to win it. You got to buy the ticket. You're not going to get the lottery. So a lot to talk about. Thank you, Frank. Always wonderful to have you on board. And now I'd like to welcome back another regular participant on Game Changers Radio. It's Dennis DeGregor. He's the Worldwide Group Executive for CX Services at HP. And Dennis sent me a quote that actually, Dennis, turns out to be from Laura McClellan at Gartner. She's a former research VP. And here's the quote. I know it's widely used on the web. By the end of 2017, the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, will have larger budgets for technology than the CIO. Welcome back, Dennis. How are you today? Excellent, Bonnie. Great to be on Game Changers again. I selected that quote because it has some profound impact on CX strategists across the globe, and specifically as more and more budgets, more and more organizational authority to manage a customer experience shifts to the CMO. It has a profound impact on the way that technology providers uh, need to organize their capabilities, and specifically for example, the digital marketing you know, revolution, uh, the way that we see it at HP is even though the CMO is assuming a broader responsibility for the customer experience across service, sales, and marketing, what we're seeing is that the current state of practice is that the typical marketing organization is just using digital channels as another marketing channel, another outbound channel to the customer, mm-hmm. much like we used to use direct mail. But what the way that HP sees it is that the digital revolution is not just digital marketing channels. It's digital CX, meaning the entire array of inbound and outbound content, offline and online content, proactive and reactive content has to be organized and managed in new strategic ways that 
both make the service experience better, to drive net promoter scores and loyalty, and most importantly, to set the table for upsell and cross-sell. So revenue productivity metrics can be driven because the CMO funding all these projects is really concerned with revenue productivity. How much revenue per unit cost and time can I generate from a customer interaction? Those are the things a CMO is concerned with. So it's causing a shift in the way that that we're designing technology and big data and analytics platforms. Thank you, Dennis. Question for you. Let's level set a little bit before I introduce our third panelist, if you don't mind. Who, to whom are we addressing all this information? Is this for what we used to call mom and pops? Is this for startups? Is this for mid-sized companies? Is this for what I call the large behemoth enterprises? Who cares about this? Who is going to benefit the most? Or is it across the board, every business size, every footprint, every geo, every uh, industry? Who are we talking to about this, Dennis? It's, it's every business. You know, from the large enterprise corporations, you know, the big behemoth brands, that manage large, high-volume throughput, consumer-facing, omni-channel operations, mm-hmm. to the startups. Um, in ter- the difference is that the platforms look slightly different for, let's say, a digital startup like Uber or Airbnb. The platforms and the customer communications protocols are different than they are for a large enterprise. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Just wanted to make sure our audience knows we're talking to every one of them, whether they're listening to us live here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Today is February 10th, 2016, or whether they hear the show on replay soon after we're done. Thank you so much, Dennis, and welcome back. Always a pleasure to have you on the panel as well. I think you and Frank are kind of a a team now, and you keep coming back with great topics, so I'm very pleased to have you both back. And welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers, Paul Donovan, Senior Director in Solution Management at SAP. And Paul has sent me a very interesting quote from Nicola, or Nicola, however you prefer, Tesla, who lived from 1856 to 1943. And I think you all know who he is, but just in case, he was a Serbian-American physicist, inventor, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, and futurist, kind of busy guy, best known for his contributions to the design of the modern alternating current electricity supply system, AC. There you go. And here's the quote. The day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than in all the previous centuries of its existence. Paul Donovan, welcome. How are you today, Paul? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on as a first time. Delighted. Very honored yes. to be on the show with all your other prestigious colleagues. Well, I'm sure they feel the same way about you, especially this great quote from Tesla. Talk to me, Paul. How did you pick this, and how does it relate to our topic about the rising billions? Well, a couple of things, really, I think. Tesla, obviously, I live out in the West Coast in Silicon Valley, and we, we see many, many Tesla cars driving around the place, so that's something that keeps Tesla in your mind. But on a, on a deeper level, obviously, he was involved in electricity research. You know, he worked with Thomas Edison. He worked at the Edison Company in France before relocating to the U.S., but he also was instrumental in discovering a lot of the uh, inventions behind mobile and mobile access from a telecommunication perspective, which is really uh, where the rising billions are, are getting into the equation. So, for instance, without mobile connections to information and internets and technology, it would be very difficult for traditional telecommunications companies to build out what we call 20th century infrastructures to link these people together. So the the existence of mobile has enabled, essentially, access for a much broader group of stakeholders. 
to the modern era of information flow. Now, I do also think that what he's trying to get at here, and obviously I don't know what was in his mind when he said this, but I believe what he's trying to get at is is this notion of what's good for the collective versus what's just good for the individual. In other words, if we start to study situations that have social impacts beyond just the technology component, it may be better for all of us as, as a collective on the, on the planet rather than just inventions that basically are, are great for some stakeholders but not necessarily great for the masses. And uh, you know, we'll talk about that as we get into it in the conversation. So that's what my thinking was behind the quote. Thank you very much. And any comments from you on what our other panelists have already shared in terms of their perspective on that this is for everybody on the business landscape across the board, which Dennis talked about, and uh, my comments with Frank Diane. Anything you want to add to that, Paul? Yeah, well, I just, I mean, yeah, for, for sure on Dennis's side, I deal a lot with the marketing people as well. But I also mm-hmm. think that there's a shifting of resources from one pool to another. So if you look at Madison Avenue, we just had the Super Bowl and the people on the TV ads, and that creates a big buzz of interest in the U.S. But, but the truth is, money's moving away from Madison Avenue to the digital era, and money's moving away from magazines as advertising goes to digital. So while it's creating massive opportunity for the digital stakeholders, the other stakeholders are being disenfranchised, and that's where the CMO has to try and justify the budget tracking, because it's much more difficult to track consumption based on an ad that populates over digital media, which could be anything, a mobile device where it doesn't show up. So there's a lot of consternation and, and uh, soul-searching in the, in the marketing world of how do, you, how do you justify this investment, given it doesn't track traditional, <laughs> traditional metrics. Paul, I can't remember the last time or the first time I heard somebody put soul-searching and marketing organization in the same sentence, but, but I, I don't know. We'll see what the other panelists think about that. <laughs> I've been in marketing most of my career, but that's definitely a new one for me and very profound. I appreciate that, Paul, and welcome, Paul Donovan. So let's circle back to Frank Diana. Frank, I'd love to know where you're calling from today, and you know what the question is. What are you drinking? Because this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. What's in your cup? Or if you want to share with us what you had on New Year's Eve, if it was very interesting or whatever. Frank Diana? Hey, I am calling uh, from New Jersey again, and I'm actually drinking a protein shake this morning. An interesting story there. I'm an avid weightlifter, and uh, for years in my past, I used to always drink a protein shake, but haven't haven't done that for years. I was just in a GNC about two weeks ago and saw saw a container of protein powder, and I said, you know what, I'll, I'll go back to that. So I've been doing that for the last couple of weeks. Well, that sounds interesting. You're shaming me. I had a cupcake and a glass of milk for breakfast this morning. (laughs) And the reason was that we had a a very lovely gentleman, a nice gentleman who was on a show the other day, and he was late sending me his deliverables, and he felt so badly. He had his company send me a box of baked by Melissa 25 miniature cupcakes, and I, I was so overwhelmed I had to have one. I won't tell you what happened to the rest of the cupcakes, but I'm using the container to hold jewelry, so there you go. Uh, and I took this cupcake cake was staring at me and saying eat me eat me so that's what I had so with it but at least it was one percent milk Frank that's not too bad but you have definitely shamed me and weightlifter well I'm very very proud to know you let's turn to Dennis DeGregor where are you today and what's in your cup today Dennis I am in Lake Forest Illinois and um, I'm a little concerned Bonnie because cupcakes are now speaking to you so that's a little (laughs) bit concerning for all of us but I am drinking a vegetable (laughs) fruit and and whey protein powder smoothie much like Frank. 
Wow, I'm I'm shamed twice. My goodness, I'm going to have to sip my cool, clear water here to get back on track with the health management today. I don't know. This is just too much fun. Thank you, Dennis. What's the weather there and in, in where you are? It's uh, overcast and uh, light snow flurries today. Ah, we had a couple of light flurries last night, but you know what? Even with Snowmageddon, which is almost three weeks ago, Storm Jonas, to those of you who like the the, the name Jonas, uh, that's almost all gone. I think this is one of the fastest snow clearances. Uh, Frank, you're in Jersey. Did you get hit too hard by the snowstorm three weeks no, ago? No, it was underwhelming. Yeah, well, we had about 30 inches here, and it's almost all gone, and that's surprising because it, it should still be very present and Really not a big deal. So we we overcame. Paul Donovan, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? I'm in the sunny city of Sunnyvale in the South Bay area. And the weather has been beautiful here for the last few days, speaking of weather. Even though it was raining, which is welcome rain here because we've had a drought mm-hmm. for about four or five years now in California. So our reservoirs need some refilling. So I am drinking a cup of tea because I'm Irish, and that's what we do in Ireland. Not that I don't love coffee and juices. In fact, I bought that uh, a juicer recently, speaking of the other two panelists on their healthy kicks. I don't think <laughs> oh, any, any of you guys saw that movie, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, reboot your uh, <laughs> diet with, with Joe uh, Cross. <laughs> but he promises that you'll, you completely have a revolution in your, in your health lifestyle because you won't need any more pharmaceutical or any, anything else to keep you awake, including coffee, because the juicing from all these natural vegetables will have a great effect on your body. So I'm trying yeah. to do the healthy thing as well, but not today necessarily. <laughs> Sticking okay. with the strong tea. Strong tea. I have a funny story for you, Paul. We had a gentleman on the show the other day who is a Brit and his wife is American. And whenever they go to a restaurant when it comes time after dinner to order a, a post-dinner beverage, they order one tea and one coffee. Well, because one of coffee. his accent, the waiter always serves him the tea. Well, guess what? His wife is the heavy-duty tea drinker and he's the coffee drinker. So they always get it wrong. And no matter whether, whether she orders it or he orders it, if they don't say this is for me and this is for him, it just always comes out wrong. Anyway, just short story. I am so delighted to be speaking today with Frank Diana at TCS, Dennis DeGregor at H. HP and Paul Donovan at SAP. Our topic is a big one. It's huge. The rising billions, business networks, and the digital economy. We have so much more to share with you. So I'm just going to say it like I always do. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We've got a lot more. We'll be back in 60 seconds. You can count them if you want. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we're coming back just about after the break. So Justin, out! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
you're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Let's get back indeed. We're talking with Frank Diana at TCS, Dennis DeGregor at HP, and Paul Donovan at SAP. Our topic today is huge. I think a political candidate just said that on SNL. I don't remember who it was. Duh. The rising, he's the one who won last night. The rising billions, business networks, and the digital economy. Frank Diana has sent me the following notes, which are perfect for kicking off our roundtable. Frank says, the rising billions have broad implications. Not only do they represent economic opportunity, but completely new ways of doing things. Frank, tell me more, please. Uh, sure. Well, uh, first, I, I like the, the term human cloud because I think it provides the right visual for how to think about this. There's really two paths that this rising billions takes us on. One is chasing the market opportunity. And there's a $30 trillion consumption opportunity between now and 2025. So it's a very large market opportunity to chase. But the other side of this discussion and why I like the term human cloud is that these, this rising billions provides us with knowledge skills, financing, ideas, capability, capacity, passion, learning opportunity, all the things that they bring to the conversation that those that can tap into will benefit uh, greatly from. But it's also a set of challenges because to leverage uh, these people in the conversation, to make them part of our process, to leverage their ideas and innovation, is, is a very big challenge. And to, to go after the market is also challenging because, as I mentioned in the opening, the market is primarily in emerging areas. There's cities that we don't even know how to spell that will be represented by this market, <laughs> right? So how, how does a company, traditional company, learn about the cultures and behaviors and things that you would market to in these areas effectively to capture some of that opportunity? So I think there's challenges on two sides. One is it's exploiting the market opportunity, and it just changes how you do that and how you go about that. And the other is, how do we leverage this mass of people for their skills, their ideas, uh, their knowledge, the crowdsourcing phenomenon, if you will, on steroids? Frank, if these people are so new to tech and, and this global conversation and the human cloud, as you put it, how much are they going to know right away? Are there, uh, is there a massive education process that's going to happen? I'm, I'm just curious before we bring in Dennis and Paul. Uh, so it's fascinating to think about what technology has enabled. And in, on, in this discussion around education and learning, the, the ramp-up time is much less than it used to be. So their ability to join the dialogue sooner than you might think is actually enhanced by technology, right? The, the way we can facilitate the dialogue, enable them from an education perspective, is greatly enhanced. So I, I don't think there's much of a steep learning curve here that, that would kind of slow down their ability to contribute. Thank you. Appreciate it. Dennis DeGregor at HP. Thoughts, please? You know what's great about this agenda, Bonnie, mm -hmm. is that all three topics are connected. I mean, Frank, Frank's topic about three billion new minds and, and the connected consumer, uh, the C, my topic around CMOs uh, being more uh, focused on revenue productivity instead of cost reduction, and Paul's mobility topic, uh, they're all interconnected. And the way that they're, they're interconnected is, is as the, the network grows that, that Frank re refers to, the three billion new minds. Uh, what kicks into, gears, uh, into gear is network effects. And network effects become the engine of consumer growth 
and revenue growth for corporations. So what, what do we mean exactly by network effects? If you think, uh, take, for example, my 15-year-old daughter, you know, who, who was born with a, with a mobile phone connected to herself, we had to have it mm-hmm. surgically removed, right? <laughs> so the, um, the issue that's happening today is that she has 300 friends on um, Snapchat, she has a bunch of friends on Vine. She has 200 friends on Twitter. And, and all of these networks that circle around her, okay? So the challenge, the, the design principle that we have to follow today is we don't market to one individual anymore as we used to uh, in, the, in the previous century and generation. Uh, personalization and one-to-one marketing is effectively dead. It's one-to-many marketing now because we can identify my daughter's circle of influences on all of these social networks. And in the aggregate, you can create a human cloud or what I call a social cloud. Um, same thing as, as Frank referred to. So um, the marketing challenge becomes marketing to that cloud, not just targeted, relevant, proactive, one-to-one marketing to individuals. And that's a, that's mm. a paradigm shift. Very interesting. Thank you very much, uh, Paul Donovan, lot to talk about. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly true. Marketing of one to the cloud, but I think because there's, there's uh, what do you call it, increased audiences you can get at more quickly. But I think my my point of view is not just the mobile, but the, the free education that possibly is available. We've seen colleges like MIT open up a lot of their course curriculums to the wider audiences. We've also seen new generation learning tools such as Khan Academy. So the accessibility you'll have seen in Africa and a large swathes of Asia where, where all the smartphones go when, they're, when, they're, when your iPhone 4 gets reprocessed, it gets shipped out to a different part of the world where they may have access to the Internet and free education. So I think Frank's point is very true. The, the learning curve is going to be quicker for these emerging markets because they have access to information and free education resources so they can get up to speed much more quickly. However, the thing I was really trying to get to is, is what are the social impacts beyond the technology advancements? Because a lot of the conversations in business are around the top-line growth and access to new markets. But if we look at people like Bill Gates, you know, they're spending the last 10, 15 years trying to figure out, okay, technology is great, but without the pull along infrastructure and resources to make these populations healthy, happy, you're going to have a lot of consternation and friction going forward as, as the imbalance of, of resources becomes you know, more and more acute over time. So that was really the point I was trying to you know, bring forward earlier, is, is where are the resources going to, be, going to be and how are they going to be addressed and, and basically orchestrated to satisfy the global collective? Paul, thank you. Who, who makes the decision? Who decides the distribution of resources and the accessibility? Who is in charge of getting this done? Any thoughts on that? Because I can spin this around to the rest of the panel if you want. Yeah, I think well, we've, we've seen it all over social media where the collective can come together to solve collective-like problems. For instance, if we, <laughs> I hate to say it, but if we feel the banks are overcharging us on interest rates, you know, one stakeholder can muster massive resources to overcome what they think is unfair practices, possibly, right? Now, we've seen it with Bernie Sanders last night. So Bernie Sanders started off, he was a politician, I think you were trying to address or refer to, and through Uh the collective of the youth generation movement over electronic media, they've essentially raised tens of millions of, of donations through individual stakeholders by the collective. 
So they're basically taking it upon the whole to do something different rather than waiting for someone who's responsible. So it's a kind of a groundswell uh, situation, just like we saw in the Arab Rising uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. So these things can happen much more quickly because communication cycles are broken down. Therefore, alignment can happen quicker. But in business, what I think we're seeing is businesses still have a lot of friction due to legal overhead, due to documentation overhead. So these are opportunities on the networking side to to eliminate some of this friction that exists uh, based on historic practice that may go back 50, 100 years. Thank you, Paul. Frank, Diana, we've expanded a little bit from where we started. So you want to add to what Paul said? Any thoughts, comments? Yeah, I'd love to expand on it, and the great points that Paul's making, because I think mm-hmm. the social piece of this is the most critical piece of this. And interestingly, I can circle back to the quote from Peter Diamandis. So the Singularity University is, is really pushing this notion that companies will ultimately shift from the profit motive to these massive transformative purposes that really are social in, in nature. And if you look at the millennial generation, which is now the biggest piece of our workforce at 34%, moving towards 50% by 2020 and 75% by 2025, that generation is about social purpose, right? They've really focused there. And it will drive the, uh, the business community to focus there as well. And so I do believe, to Paul's point, you're going to see not just technology for technology's sake, but a true, a true focus on how do you better the world, whether it's global warming, whether it's hunger, or whatever the, whatever the, the energy in the case of Tesla, et cetera. You're going to see a big focus there. Dennis DeGregor, I know you have something to add here. You know, I think, I think that the, the shift has already occurred, you know, from the profit motive to the social motive, as, as Frank points out, and, and that's a good thing. Um, we're putting the social motive first, the uh, educational motive first, the betterment of society first, but there is a connection. There's a, there's a causality effect. If you, if you put the person, the individual first, for social causes, for economic causes, for educational causes, the profit flows from that. It's just a, it's just the reverse of the traditional model where the focus is on the profit motive. So it's kind of, you know it's kind of an exciting time for the whole issue of uh, of network effects and the, the the emergence of digital natives, the 18 to 34 group, who are really assuming the household formation role now. Uh, they're forming households. They're, they're buying capital goods and so forth. Um, the digital natives and that connected Generation C audience is, is the center of our focus, only we're leading with the social uh, aspects of the brand. How can our brand at HP, for example, how can we influence society? And you, you can see that going on, for example, in, in a lot of the, the corporate public relations things that are going on. Thank you, Dennis. And guess what, Dennis? I'm turning to your notes for the next part of our roundtable. That was certainly a good opening. Thank you, Frank. Dennis, a couple places we could go. I'm looking at your notes. Two things intrigue me. Number one, you say the consumer Internet is really five Internets. The key to leveraging big data is organizing these five correctly. Or we could talk about digital halos, or you can segue to both. Where would you like to go, Dennis? Well, let's let's talk about the internet, and and I'm going to focus on you know on the commerce dimension here, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to the social, political, uh, educational, societal benefits. Um, if you think about it from a, a CX strategy perspective, or or if you're the CMO or the chief customer officer, the internet is really five different internets, and this is important to understand because uh, digital halos play into this space now, and if you don't organize 
the Internet correctly around your consumer to the extent that you can, you know, aggregate the Internet around the consumer and, and function as an aggregator before your competitors do, uh, it's, it's a very important thing. So the five, the five pieces of the Internet, the way that, that we look at it, is there's the Internet of Things, you know, the beacon sensors, watches, uh, Apple Watches, uh, Garmin's, Fitbits, health monitors, uh, all the above, okay, that, mm-hmm. that send or, or data or collect data that can be used for better service sales and marketing. There's the Internet of People, okay, who, you know, who do I speak to? Who's my uh, network, as I pointed out earlier about my daughter? Who are the, who are the networks that are circling the sun, so to speak, and how do we aggregate them up into the human cloud? Then there's the Internet of Information. What information am I using, you know, to make my life better, to research products and services, to obtain competitive pricing, to place an order, to obtain post-sales service, uh, the Internet of Information, right? So then there's the Internet of Commerce. And when I think of the Internet of Commerce, I'm thinking of the brands, of which companies am I doing business with consistently and how can I analyze the digital halo of the brands that these consumers and prospects prefer so I can use them to do better marketing and service, you know, for my brand. And then, and then there's um, the Internet of Analytics, the digital halos that connect all the pieces of the Internet together because as the, pers- as the individual moves among the, the sub-Internet, so to speak, they leave fingerprints. And with t- today's technologies that have developed over the last five to six years, we're able to track that fingerprint and create a digital halo among, among the sub-Internets and understand that consumer at new levels that marketers could only dream of, you know, just several years ago. Dennis? This is amazing and very, very interesting. I've captured this in a tweet I'm about to post. The Internet of Things equals five internets. Make sure I get this right. Things, people, information, commerce or brands, and analytics, digital halos. Am I okay with that? Yeah, you're, you're close enough. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. We have to be true if we're putting it on social media. Uh, Paul Donovan, I'm going to circle around to you. Thoughts on this, this evolution here of the Internet into five internets. What do you think? Yeah, so, you know, my perspective is the Internet of Things are all great things that are happening, <clears throat> excuse me, new opportunities, but, but what we really probably should focus on as well is, you know, because I'm taking this sort of alternative view here on this call, is the, the risk profile and the prioritization profile. Because if you, if you remember when we, when we got into some of the earlier digital things around even 10, 15 years ago, some of the amplified effects of that on things like supply chains in business are that the, the, the effect of a mistake made because of a digital error are amplified tenfold, twentyfold. So I'll give you an example. So say your supply chain order is misinterpreted because of a digital signal that's misinterpreted uh, from an automation perspective can lead to massive production that's not necessary because the demand is not there. Similarly, we, we'll see things like on the commerce side of things, TVs going on sale on, on Black Friday for $19.99 instead of 1000 $999, and all these people are here about this through social media. Now, they're trying, buy, they're trying to buy this stuff, but it's an electronic mistake that gets amplified quicker. It would never happen in the physical world because someone in the store would realize, hey, I'm not selling that TV for $19.99. Um, so, they, so they notice the awareness of the problems 
are amplified and therefore you have this sort of massive uh, reaction. Similarly, we're seeing in the stock market where we've had to put in place these these uh, stoppers that basically if the market drops too quickly because of the digital trading, you have mm-hmm. to put a halt to it because it becomes beyond common sense. So we have to be careful with the Internet of Things and the interpretation of some of the big data that there's a common, a common sense approach, a rationality, a framework built around it that can help us avoid you know, automating to the extreme for, for some of the wrong reasons, basically. Thank you, Paul. If only we could find some common sense in the current stock market, but I don't want to go there. That's not our show today. <laughs> uh, I, I, t- I tell my friends, don't even look at your account. Don't even open your statement. Don't even go to wherever, whatever your account is on the on Internet because you're just going to get upset and cry. Yeah. Frank Diana, talk to us. The five Internets, Digital Halo, a lot of stuff floating around here. What would you like to expand on? Well, I mean, I like the, the perspective on the five internets, and I would say that the analytic piece of that internet discussion is foundational. But it, it does point to the complexity being introduced, not not just by the Internet of Things. And remember from our last show, Bonnie, we talked about 99% of those things that can be connected are still not connected, right? So that's going to amplify, obviously, considerably as far as complex, complexity as we move on. Now, introduce three to five billion more people into this discussion. And I just think the ability for most organizations to leverage analytics in a way that makes sense of all this noise, whether it's the thing or the, the individual now that's creating that noise, it's, it's very complex. I just think we're entering a world of complexity that we really don't understand yet. Dennis, any comments on what your co-panelists just uh, added to your topic? Ye- yes, absolutely. There's, a, there's a, an insight in there, and, and what we've learned uh, through painful experience at HP is that about 70%, 70% of the information flowing through the Internet is noise, to Frank's point. You know, it, it, it's spam. Um, about 30% of the data warrants further investigation. In other words, it, advanced analytics should be applied to that data set. And then about 2% of all interactions flowing through the net are actionable service selling, or marketing opportunities. So the technologies exist today, and they're getting better to weed through that noise and net it down to the 2% of the interactions that matter, the 2% 2 of the interactions that drive net promoter score or whatever brand loyalty metric you're using, the 2% of the interactions that drive wallet share through upselling and cross-selling. Um, that 2% is where we focus. And I, I like to, I, turn, I, I coined the term small data because, you know, there's all this hype around big data, but, but big data is not the answer. The answer is distilling down to the small data, the 2%. Thank you. Very, very profound. Paul Donovan, I'm ready to go in a slightly new direction. I'm looking at your notes, and here's something I'd like to dive into. You say we can look at consumption across consumer products in retail in emerging markets versus developed markets. So why don't you run with this? Paul, what would you like to say? Yes, basically the point really is what what we've seen in the developed world over the last 50 years is what we call a consolidation phase. So where businesses grow bigger and the mom and pops basically get eliminated from the equation. Now, in the emerging markets, because, as I said, they didn't build out all this telecommunication infrastructure or even physical infrastructure. It's likely that, and it's not 
exactly going to, no one can predict the future, obviously, but it's likely that there may be new business models that come to fruition, where maybe the mom and pops don't get eliminated so quickly, maybe the manufacturers can ship products directly to consumers, and the mom and pops become a sort of a local wholesaler in some of these markets, because, as I said, you know, it kind of sounds weird, but even though everyone in the in the world, every adult, I think, and most most teenagers in the world have access to a mobile device now, and yes, I think half the population in a lot of these countries don't have access to, for instance, water or sewage facilities. So, in other words, the, the access to telecommunications has exceeded the access to what we would classify as uh, infrastructure that should be there for for many many years already, and that you know leads to other problems that I mentioned earlier. But the key to me is. We talk in this digital world that new business models will be available like the Ubers of the world and, and digital centralization, but we, we may have changing of a mindset even of, of what constitutes retail CP in some of these emerging markets because it's not necessarily that it's going to have to go through what we call this 20-, this 50-year consolidation cycle to big box retailers, specialist retailers. And I think that will change a lot of things, uh, how products come to market, how products are marketed to, to speak to some of the earlier, earlier issues on marketing itself. And how do you really market to and ship to an audience of, of billions of people? Because the manufacturer has to be mindful of a profit margin when they're making product. They can't just make an individual product for, for every individual, basically. They can do configuration, but that leads to more complexity to Frank's mm-hmm. earlier comment. So well, that's really think- what I'm seeing is, is things will change dramatically. We may not be aware of the change as it's happening, but these business models are, are being undertaken. It will, it will force flows of, in, of money to different uh, priorities. And the, and the question becomes, what is, what is the priority? What is the right priority? Thank you, Paul. I'm wondering, uh, I mentioned earlier in, in the beginning, wondering about these rising billions, if they cover various demographic cohorts or generational segments. And I'm wondering, to your point, if if there's a ramp up of trust building from retailers to these rising billions who have not done business online, who do not are not sure they want to trust putting a credit card number into a website, who are familiar with the news about spams and scams and phishing and all that. Do you yeah. think there's going to be a, a ramp up or perhaps a delay in a part of the rising billions? I'm not talking about the young ones who are brave and bold and sure, I'm going to order this 24 hours a day, but, but the people who are new to it are saying, I've heard so much, I don't want to do that. Do you think there's going to be a delay in them coming on board as new consumers? I don't think so, because I think we've seen, I mean, in the U.S. versus Europe, if you look at Europe going back seven years ago, they had those chips in your credit cards that could avoid the, the mm-hmm. penetration of the POS system that happened here last year and then a lot of big box retailers. And then that became a priority for U.S. retailers to say, hey, let's put a bit more security on the card so people can't be defrauded as easily at the point of sale. Now, what you saw after that was, yes, there was a blip on the marketplace. Maybe they should have done it earlier. They could have prioritized that spend earlier to, to make it more secure from a transactional perspective. But the confidence doesn't get eroded. In other words, the numbers come back in short order. And I think we'll see with these other stakeholders in foreign economies that, that it just becomes part of doing business. We, we've seen that with Alibaba in China where you know, it's a massive amount of revenues coming through the Chinese uh, consumer. They have no problem conducting business in a digital forum and it's the first type of commerce they would have ever done basically so i think i won't i don't think the the newer generations of consumers are as worried about fraud although it may become a bigger issue as 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 you mm-hmm. said the phishing attacks the fraudulent activity the cyber crime activity is all in place at the same time thank you very much frank diane i'd love to get your thoughts on this please 
Uh, Paul brought up some really interesting points. Um, first, uh, the mom and pop notion, I, I know we focused on emerging markets where that might not necessarily disappear. I see it reappearing in, in developed economies like the U.S. And, and Europe, and fundamentally because 3D printing and other technologies actually enable that. And so from a retail impact perspective, I've looked at things like how do the, the, the emergence of mom and pop uh, shops impact retailers uh, in, in the future. And then if you look at it from strictly logistics and transport perspective, I think transport distribution logistics changes considerably when you think about localized production with 3D printing, when you think about autonomous vehicles and how that massively changes the transport infrastructure, and just a num- and the Internet of Things around logistics. So I, I just see the point that Paul made, business models really, really changing considerably in the future. Thank you. Dennis DeGregor, thoughts? This is this is a, a great topic for discussion. You know, with what's happening with you know the mobile phone is you know the, the, everybody's first instinct is you know drive everything to the mobile channel or the digital channel uh, to reduce costs because that's just the way the CFO and the CEO look at channels. They they see the digital opportunity as a way to reduce costs. When uh, nothing could be further from the truth, there's a, there's a large segment to Paul's point that are are mobile centric. Okay, of course, the digital natives, 18 to 34, as, as you get into older age groups, the propensity to use mobile, you know, to complete a sales interaction decreases. You know, so, mm-hmm. so what's happening right now is what we're focused on in my world is the optimization of the digital and human channels. Because even, even though, you know, mobility volume is certainly ramping up uh, today, uh, Forrester uh, published some research that shows that in terms of retail sales volume, non-mobile web, meaning desktops, is about twice the revenue of mobile. Okay, mobile web is about 50% of non-mobile web. So that's, that's going to change, of course. Mobility is going to continue to increase in share. But the, there will always be a segment of high-touch customers that, that require the human channel, even though digital natives humans are often the channel of last resort. They'd rather do the machine-to-machine um, interaction, you know, the self-service interaction. But the, but the business problem, the business challenge, is optimization because there are large, large segments of consumers in every vertical who require that high touch. And their economics, you know, their high-lifetime their, their high value customers or their emerging high-lifetime value customers, if they require the human touch, your analytical systems need to be able to intelligently route to a human to keep that consumer's net promoter score up and to keep your wall um, against that consumer up. Thank you very much. Interesting. Um, I'm going to, you know what, we have about three minutes till we go into the predictions crystal ball round. I'm going to toss this wide open. We've had such an interesting discussion and covered so many bases. So, Frank, Diane, is there anything left on your mind you'd like to talk about with the panelists with me before we move you as the first one into the crystal ball predictions? Uh, and I, I might talk about this a, a little bit in the predictions, but what I didn't mention earlier is uh, if you think about this rising billions phenomena, and sort of a, something happening in parallel, this whole sharing economy uh, phenomena that's happening side by side, right? The, one fuels the other. So as more and more people enter the online world, uh, what we've seen in terms of Uber and Airbnb and, and uh, Kickstarter and all those things really takes on new life. There's been a debate as to whether 
sharing economy was born out of economic downturn or whether it's a lasting phenomena. I see it as a lasting phenomenon, and I think this conversation around rising billions just fuels that. Thank you. Dennis, you want to comment on that or anything you want to bring up? We just have another two minutes till predictions. Great. You know, predictions are uh, digital disruptors are, are going to continue to take, take share from brands, and that's not very, very profound. But I think that we're going to see digital disruptors taking share at an increasing rate rather than a static rate. Okay, and you can expand on that when we formally get into our predictions. Paul Donovan, anything left on your plate you wanted to share with us before we move into the crystal ball? Yeah, just one of the words to ask you is I'd love to talk about for a second. The, the notion of optimization, I think he's, he's spot on there. We're going to need more optimization in the future as the complexity grows. However, what I've seen, I've been in optimization for 15 years in various industry practices, and there's a sort of ebb and flow to optimization where you, you bring the concept of optimization to the business people and they, they embrace it if there's a profit margin to be had in the short term, but they, they're skeptical in a lot of cases because they don't necessarily understand the equations that are operating, and it makes things feel like they're out of their control to a large extent. So I think trust of optimization concepts will have to grow in business to, to really take advantage of, of all these newer digital feeds, concepts that, are, that we've talked about today. So that's, that's something that I've seen is, is a... Optimization is great, but it has to be embraced uh, to be successful from, from the enterprise perspective. So very good point, Dennis, on optimization. Thank you, Paul. Dennis, I have one thing in your notes that I'm curious about. I don't know if you mentioned it, but I don't recall. The 720-degree view, the end game. Can you give me a quick definition before we go back to Frank for predictions? Right. The, you know, the 720-degree seven, view, is it ties back to, to the five internets. If you... If you um, Brands of the future, the ones that are going to lead and beat their competitors, are going to need to tie the consumer's personas, and typically there are multiple personas. They're going to have to tie those personas to the individuals in the corporate database and create, and, and using digital halos, create what I call the 720-degree view, which is the traditional 360-degree view augmented by the uh, Internet of me view of the personas. So managing that consolidated uh, customer view and profile is, is really the cutting edge of, uh, of innovation. Thank you. Very interesting. Thanks for doing the math, too. <laughs> On that note, Frank, Diane, <laughs> I'm going to circle back to you. Yes, Bonnie, 360 plus 360 equals 720. I can still do that in my head. I refuse <laughs> to use a slide rule, by the way, when I was taking business uh, statistics. We didn't have analytics back in the day. But I was taking business statistics, and everybody was annoyed because I always got the answers right, and I aced every test, but I used a pencil and paper. We're talking back in the uh, in the mid-'70s, and they were always annoyed with me because I wouldn't use any tools, and I wouldn't sneak a calculator under my desk. What can I tell you? So I still think I remember a little bit about math. Frank, Diana, I could do the math that we've got five minutes left and I'm going to give you one full minute. What a, what a good minute it's going to be of prediction. So Frank, you know, I love the year 2020, not that far away anymore. What do you see coming down the pike for these rising billions? Because if we reference back to the opening of the show with Peter Diamandis's comment that in the global economy, the most dramatic positive change ever will occur between this year and 2020 with these three to five billion new consumers coming online. Uh, well, that'll be the end of this segment. So what do you predict will be the result by 2020? Frank? Well, first, I, I agree with him. Um, if, you, if you think about what companies like Google and others are doing, I do see that coming to fruition at some level. Now, you know, the numbers, who knows? 
but you know drones and satellites and balloons and other approaches that they're trying to dr- deliver this connectivity to various places in the world, I think play out. And so that does bring with it both opportunity and, and risk and complexity. And so I do see between now and 2020 those organizations that can effectively manage that complexity and find, find ways to exploit, again, both the market opportunity and the value that this 3 to $5 billion, uh, set of individuals brings to the economy, et cetera. You can exploit that. I think you succeed fairly, fairly well in the next four years. But, but it's very complex, and I don't see it being an easy journey. Um, additionally, I think in the next four years we'll start to get we'll start to see fundamental challenges to the traditional ways we did things. A great example of that would be, you know, do you re- really need to own all, the, all of your employees? There's an awful lot of smart people in this broader connected universe that we'll see more and more companies tap into, and that could mean a movement closer to an Uber-like model where you don't necessarily own all the assets. Mm-hmm. You, you exploit and leverage assets, whether that be people or, or other assets like buildings, et cetera. So, so things like influencing policy making because people have a greater voice. It could even lead to a democracy 2.0, if you will, somewhere down the road. And I see all those things, the foundations of those things, kind of get taking place in the next four years. Thank you very much, Dennis DeGregor. You're up. One minute predictions. You already started a few minutes ago. Why don't you expand it? 60 seconds. Go. I, I touched on my prediction a little earlier. Digi- digital disruptors are going to continue to take share. Uh, from from the big brands, and the reason why they're able to do that, uh, the, the the core prediction is that the consumer is in control increasingly of the relationship. There, the brand used to be in control through uh, general advertising, through direct marketing, uh, through public relations, but the brands are no longer in control. The consumer is in control of their own uh, uh, commerce destiny, and that, that macro trend is going to drive a lot of change in the industry, and one of the biggest ones being the customer service technology ecosystem is going to consolidate, meaning the CRM systems, the back office systems, the queue routing systems, and the workforce optimization technologies are all going to have to consolidate in order to service the new consumer. Thank you very much. Very profound. And Paul Donovan, our newcomer, you've certainly done a great job, Paul, contributing to the conversation. I can give you exactly 60 seconds for your predictions. Paul, go. Well, predicting the future is very difficult, as we all know. But I'll tell you a funny story. When I was driving here this morning from from my coffee shop to here, but there was an announcer on the NPR radio that I came out to Silicon Valley 20 years ago, and the same person was in the same traffic announcement with all the accidents and the traffic flows and the gridlock that we had 20 years ago. So in the same 20 years, we've had electric cars, hybrids, self-driving technology, and all this other technology that I call good for the individual. But this traffic situation hasn't gone away. So to my point earlier, if we can think through the collective benefit versus just the individual benefit and give it as much priority, maybe in 20 years' time we won't have that traffic problem as we do in a growing situation around the world, but I won't be holding my breath, Bonnie. Okay. Well, we don't want you to hold your breath. Paul, the end line for you is breathe. Keep breathing, please. Dennis DeGregor, HP, Frank Diana, TCS, Paul Donovan, SAP. Thank you all for a very interesting and stimulating conversation. Shout out to my colleague Brad Borkin at SAP. Shout out to Justin and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. And my prediction is we have four new series, including one actual renewal, sharing Tuesdays at 10 a.m. So I want you all to be listening Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern. We have Social Selling with Game Changers. Following week is the future of 
the future with Game Changers, followed by the future of cars with Game Changers, followed by extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers. Don't worry, we don't put all four shows on the same time slot on the same day. They take turns each week. So there, tomorrow we'll be back with another edition of, I think we're talking about, uh, let's see, the future of business with Game Changers, the future of learning tomorrow, Thursday, February 11th, 2016. That's 10 a.m. Eastern, so I'll be back and talk to you then. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.